Good morning. If you have a Bible, can you join me in reading our text for this morning, Philippians 2, 5 through 8. And if you have a Bible with you, we'll be back there a few times if you just want to leave it open to that page. Philippians 2, 5 through 8. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing. By taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Philippians 2, 5 through 8. Well, for those who don't know me, my name is Jacob. I'm one of the pastors here, and I'm so excited to be sharing with you today. Today, we're kicking off week five of our Advent series, where we continue to prepare for and celebrate the birth of Christ. This is a time to talk about mangers, virgin births, the Son of God coming to live among us, and what that means for us. And oh my gosh, it's so exciting. And that's where we are today. Today is a reminder of all that Jesus is and why the season is so important. If you're with us today and you don't know the story of Jesus' birth, then today you're in for a treat as we're going to talk all about it. As we sit here only about seven days out from Christmas Eve, I'm sure we all have thoughts about what that's going to look like. Some of that is, I'm sure, excitement, some nervousness, maybe even some sadness. And if you're a Christian surrounded by everything else Christmas might bring, this is a time of celebrating that God has come to earth. For me, this is a season also about pajamas and hot chocolate. It's about family and friends and seeing people lit up in wonder at Christmas. It's Christmas lights and snowfalls, and if my daughter gets her way, an actual white Christmas for once. It's about shepherds and mangers and baby Jesus. It's about the coming of a king and the excitement that brings. It's about anticipation and waiting and wondering and seeing what God has for us. It's about the closing of a year and the beginning of a new one. It's about fresh starts, new beginnings, and joy. And it can also be tinged with some sadness, some, some anxiety, some nervousness, some fear. It can be tinged with loss and those we miss and the promise of a new year that may look different, and we don't know if that next year is going to look any better. And it's about remembering and celebrating and watching what God has done for us, and that's a little of where we're going to be today. The joy and lament of Christmas all wrapped up in the person of a little baby who changed the world. That's Christmas. Okay, we're going to play a little game here, and it's going to require some congregational interaction. Let's talk about the Messiah coming. Uh, I'm going to throw some pictures up on the screen, and I'm going to ask everyone in the room to shout out what you think they're depicting. This is not a super artsy or philosophical game. You are not going to throw out an answer while I stand here and tell you that you're missing the real metaphor behind the picture. No, if you think you're right, you're probably right. And if you're not right, I won't call you out. Your neighbor can, I will not. Um, but I really need you to participate, otherwise I'm just going to stand here awkwardly and have to move on. All right, here we go. Here's the first one. No room at the inn. Oh, I love that loud voice. That's perfect. No room at the inn. Mary and Joseph arrive in Bethlehem. There's no room at the inn, and they go to a manger. Next. Jesus in the manger. Um, this is a fun one, because as 
we all know from the pictures, Mary just gave birth and she's just so happy. She's so happy surrounded by sheep and animals that are kissing Jesus and it's just good. And I believe that's all the pictures I've ever seen, so it has to be 100% true. <laughs> Jesus in the manger. Next. The shepherds. The shepherds in the field at night guarding their flock. And then out of nowhere, these angels come and they're clothed in white and there's light everywhere. They tell them about the coming king. Next. Three wise men, three wise men on their way to see the coming king. They bring gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Next. Little drummer boy. Now, I've looked through my Bible. I can't find him. I'm not sure how it ties in. <laughs> but he got his own song, so I believe he had to have been there. Probably in the manger, setting up a beat while Mary was giving birth. I assume <laughs> that's the connection, so he, he made the cut. Um, and finally, this one right here. Oh, wait, that, that one doesn't look Christmassy at all. That one feels like that's in the wrong sermon. <laughs> that one looks like Jesus on a horse with lightning all around him, and he's super good looking. <laughs> oh, wait, I know where I messed up. I, I talked about the coming of the Messiah. That's the, the second coming of Jesus. That one's in Revelation. It's a whole different thing. That's where he comes with authority and power and at the head of a heavenly army. It's a really interesting read. Um, let's talk about the birth of Jesus, and we may come back to that one. I have a feeling that there's a tie-in somehow. Let's start by going back a few thousand years. I'd say the world was holding its breath, but it really wasn't. Things were just moving forward. In the Middle East, the Romans had taken charge, and the people of Israel were subject to Roman rule. A man named Caesar ran the show, and God had been seemingly silent for a long time. The last book we have in the Old Testament is Malachi, which is some 400 years before the events that were about to take place. The people of Israel waited for a Messiah, and they had all the blueprints of his coming, but the when and the where and the how could be confusing. Some of it even seemed to be contradictory at times. Things like multiple accounts of where the Messiah would come from or be born. Things that fit together if you twisted them the right way, um, but were otherwise confusing. Um, I wouldn't say that the people were sitting expectantly waiting for a Messiah. No, I'd say they were sitting nervously and wondering what God was doing. Or maybe it's better to say they weren't wondering, they were just a little stuck. Then it happened. The birth of a king. The birth of the Messiah. The birth of the Son of God who would forever change the course of human history. It was a magical day where everything would change. Nothing would ever be the same again. And most people missed it. Because the birth of Jesus, the coming of the Messiah, the incredible moment where the Son of God comes to earth happened so quietly that if you blink, you'd never even notice that you missed it. The birth of Jesus. You all may know the story, but if not, let me summarize it for you. An angel comes to Mary and says, you are going to give birth to the Son of God. And she is panicked. She's engaged to a man. She's unwed. She doesn't know that she can do it. Um, her fiancé, wanting to honor her, uh, decides that he's going to leave her quietly until an angel comes to him and says, this is the Son of God. Take care of Mary. Take care of Joseph. So Mary, while fully pregnant, goes to Bethlehem with Joseph. 
uh, they go to try to find room to stay. There's nowhere to stay, so they end up in a manger, assumedly surrounded by animals and smiling. Shepherds are out in the field guarding their flocks. And these angels appear all in white and color and just light everywhere. And they tell them the Messiah is born. The king is born. Three wise men, or 70 wise men, or however many there are, uh, come to deliver gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And along the way, they run into a man named Herod. Herod, who ruled over this area, hears about a coming king, a possible deterrent to his rule. So he questions the wise men, tries to figure out more about this king, and they leave, and he sets an edict. All boys under two years old should be killed. Easy way to get rid of the threat. So Jesus' parents flee to Egypt. Early on in his life, Jesus has to immigrate to another place to be safe. Two years later, they come back after Herod has passed away, and they settle in their hometown of Nazareth. The story of a king. Although not really the story of most kings, this king sounds like he started out pretty rough. Sounds like he kind of got the short end of the stick, and it's an interesting start to the story. So the king of the universe is born to an unwed mother in a cold and lonely room. His birth was shouted from the heavens, literally as angels came to earth to let people know, and then they let the shepherds know. I always picture the shepherds as teenagers or, or young adults just minding their own business in the field when everything lights up. Uh, the shepherds don't appear to kings or queens or rulers or prophets. No, they let the people working the fields know. He was greeted with gifts by magi, but those gifts came with a price because they put a bounty on his head as well. He was hailed as a king, but hunted down as soon as he was born. His family fled to another country where they lived in hiding for two years before coming back to their home. And when they came home, they settled not in a place of power, authority, or relevance, but rather in a backwater town. A place that people of the time scoffed at, a place where nothing good comes from. Today we're talking about power, specifically as it comes to Jesus in the Christmas story. And as that leads to future stories of Jesus, because funny enough, the powerlessness that we see in baby Jesus and the way God chose to reveal himself through the birth of his son is the same thing we're going to see over and over again throughout the life of Jesus. And today I want to ask why. Why did Jesus come like he did? Why not on a horse with a sword at the front of an army of heavenly angels like we see in Revelation? Why is a plain man whose appearance is nothing of note? Why do a young woman and man who, to be fair, were descended from the great king of Israel, David, but you sort of had to squint to see that. It wasn't readily apparent. They didn't live in the lap of luxury that it felt like their lineage should allow for. Why was he raised by a dad who was a carpenter and not a king or a rabbi or someone with authority? There are so many whys to the story of Jesus' birth and coming and so much for us to take away from the Christmas story. Jesus came with power, authority, righteousness, grace, and truth. Power, authority, righteousness, grace, and truth that you would never expect because the places and people it was coming from weren't really the places you normally look for those type of things. Jesus, the Son of God, the hope of mankind, Jesus of Nazareth, born to an unwed mother and a carpenter, 
Jesus, the Savior of the world, what an odd way to show power. In my time here, I've been trained and taught by some amazing men and women. Uh, our former lead pastor, Steve Cuss, was often keen to talk about the nature of power dynamics. He has a gift for recognizing, naming, and working through power dynamics around him, and as such, it's something that we've talked a lot about. Today, there are three types of power and authority dynamics I want to talk about, and this is by no means an exhaustive list. In fact, it's pretty simplistic. But we see these three show up often in and out of Scripture, so I thought it'd be good to mention them. Uh, the first one we often talked about was top-down authority. This one's easy enough to understand. If you've ever had a boss, a parent, a coworker, or anyone in authority who said, because I said so, or because that's the way it works, or because those are the rules or the law or the expected way to do things, you've probably experienced top-down authority. It's the type of authority that sets a standard and expects you to follow it. And hey, sometimes it has to happen. There are rules and laws in place for a reason and consequences if people break them. In fact, throughout the Bible, we see plenty of examples of God setting a standard he tells his people to follow and setting consequences if they don't. Top-down authority. I say, you do. The second is what I'll call alongside authority. The idea here is that there are standards or practices that I'm following, and I'd love for you to come with me. In fact, the Apostle Paul said this so well when in 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1, he said, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. In his wording, he lets us know that he's going to be following an authority in his life, doing everything he can to stick close to it. And if we follow him, maybe we will too. It's one of the most common practices I think most of our leadership try to do here as we're following God, as we're learning about God, as we're chasing God, we encourage others to do it with us. Um, not because we said so, not because those are the rules, but because we think it's a better way to live. We do it together. And finally, there's ground-up or servant leadership. This is the leader who steps into the fire and lets you know they go first. It's the leader who's willing to do the hard work rather than just delegate it to someone else. It's the leader who's just as willing to serve as they are to lead. And it's the leader who may not get all the recognition because they aren't chasing it, but they know if they keep pointing in the right direction toward their purpose, they'll head and the, they'll get there. I do. You follow. Now, it's not fair to say that Jesus fully embodied one of these and it's the only way, because in fact, you can find times that Jesus did each of these. There were times he set a standard and said, this is what it is. There isn't much room for discussion. There were times he said, follow me and we'll do this together. And there were times he went first and he did the hard work, and he looked back to see who was following him. And that final one, that's the story of Christmas. And in fact, the story of Easter as well. But why? Why like this? Let's go back to Philippians 2, 5 through 8. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used for his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Philippians 2, 5 through 8. Scholar N.T. Wright describes it this way. Jesus himself was in the form of God. He was equal with God. 
Now, what might that mean in the ancient world, the world which Paul knew? The world of Caesar, the world of Alexander the Great, people who reckoned that they were divine or that they were the Son of God? They gave themselves heirs. They exploited that status to be people of fabulous wealth and power and empire in the human sense. And what Paul is doing very explicitly in this passage, remembering that Philippi was a Roman colony, they knew all about Caesar as Lord. Paul was teaching them what it means to say that Jesus is Lord. Jesus had the ability to use his status for an easier life. He's the Son of God made flesh. He's come to dwell among us, and he's the child of the greatest king in the universe. It would have been nothing for him to use his authority, his lineage, and his power and come in all glory. We have Jesus on the horse with lightning behind him. Imagine Jesus coming in power and glory instead of what we got. You can imagine some of the images of Jesus redone. Rather than there being no room for Mary and Joseph at the inn, they're instead put up in the finest homes. They're given the best luxuries. They live in comfort and are able to rest and not work for anything they get. Rather than being born in a manger, imagine him born in the temple, surrounded by the ruling elites of the Jews, no longer raised by an unwed mother and a carpenter. Maybe he's raised by the high priests, the mouthpieces of God. When the Magi visit him, they're dropping off gifts, but they're amongst the hundreds of gifts that he's already received. Rather than angels presenting themselves to the shepherds, they present themselves to the rulers of Rome. They show their glory and power, and those who had held earthly power finally understand the glory of God. When Herod considers threatening a young Jesus, he's immediately stopped by the almighty power of God, a power so intense he can't help but worship it. And rather than a drummer boy, well, he's probably still there. He'd make his way into the temple or something. I'm still not sure how that works. And rather than an earthly ministry punctuated by statements like, the Son of Man has nowhere to rest his head, we have an image of a holy king sharing the glory of his Father amongst all. Jesus could have come and done all of that. He could have used equality with God to his advantage, and what a different story we would have seen. We could have seen a mighty and powerful Lord come to earth, a Lord who led the masses from a position of strength, a Lord who put the power of God in direct defiance to the power of man and showed the glory of God in all his power and strength. And we'd have a version of power that we've seen over and over again throughout history. More of the same. Instead, Jesus chose to come as a servant. And while being in very nature and form God, he did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. And that humility gave us a God who was approachable in such a different way than any other. It gave us a personal God who was available. It gave us a God who wasn't just there to set the rules and tell us how to live. It gave us a God who wanted to be a part of our lives. It gave us a high priest, if you will, who was able to understand our weaknesses and temptations because he's gone through those same temptations and trials. You see, God sets the standards. And if he wanted to stop there, he could have. God, the creator of the universe, tells us what's right and wrong. He sets people apart. He creates and he declares what is just and what is not. And that isn't all that different from any other theistic religion out there. A powerful God tells people how to live, and they follow. And if they follow well, they're rewarded. And if not, there are consequences. Yahweh, one of the names for God, did something different, however. He didn't just sit as an authority, one who had all the power and the laws and the rules and dictated how it should go. No, instead, he decided that he would go out first. He would pave the way. 
He would step into the role of a servant, a ludicrous concept when you're talking about the God of the universe. Where God calls us to serve, he went out and modeled it. Where God calls us to love, he went out and modeled it. Where God calls us to live, he went out and modeled it. And where God calls us to invite, he went out and modeled it. And where God calls us to humble ourselves, he went out and modeled it by taking the very nature of a servant and being born into human likeness. And he didn't just model it for people in power. He didn't create systems that just benefited those who had it easy. No, Jesus came for those on the outskirts as well. He came for the lost and the lonely and those far from God, those stuck and those who are barely holding it together. He came for those in this room who are entering the Christmas season with joy and excitement and can't wait to see what's on the horizon. And this is the greatest season ever. And the music is great and the lights are great and everything is uplifting. And he came for this room who are sitting in lament and anxiety and nervous for what's to come because every holiday is a reminder and everyone else around me is smiling and that's not where I am. Jesus came for all because Jesus empathizes because where we've gone, Jesus has gone too. I'd like to let Jesus speak for himself today rather than me speak for him and toward that end, I'd like to share a parable that he gave in his ministry, a parable that shows his plan, his humility, and his desire for us. If you have a Bible, we'll be in Luke 14, 12 through 24. Then Jesus said to his host, when you give a luncheon or a dinner, do not invite your friends, your brothers or sisters, your relatives or your rich neighbors. If you do, they may invite you back and you'll be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you'll be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. When one of those at the table with him heard this, he said to Jesus, blessed is the man who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of God. Jesus replied, a certain man was preparing the great banquet and invited many guests. At the time of the banquet, he sent a servant to tell those who had been invited, come for everything is ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said, I've just bought a field, and I must go and see it. Please excuse me. Another said, I've bought five yoke of oxen. I'm on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. Still another said, I just got married, so I can't come. The servant came back and reported this to the master. Then the owner of the house became angry and ordered his servant, go out quickly to the streets and the alleys of the town. Bring in the poor and the crippled and the blind and the lame. Sir, the servant said, what you've ordered has been done, but there's still room. Then the master told his servant, go out to the roads and the country lanes and compel them to come in so that my house will be full. I tell you, not one of those who are invited will get a taste of my banquet. Although not a parable normally told around the time of Christmas, this is a beautiful representation of the God who came at Christmas. God showed up in our midst he showed up for the masses, he showed up for the lost, and he showed up for the broken. Can you imagine this parable today? Imagine throwing a party and no guests show up, so you tell your family, hey, go walk the streets and just bring anyone in. Bring in the homeless, the poor, those down on their luck, or those barely holding it together. And once you're done, go to I-25 and hold up a sign. Uh, let them know that there's a feast at our house and they're welcome to show up. Go walk 120th, go walk 144th, let people know that they're welcome, and no matter how many come, we have room. 
This was how Jesus used power. Not for influence, not for control, not to make himself bigger. No, he used power as a gift to bring others to him. The God of the universe who stepped into normal life, who experienced hardship, struggle, and persecution, so he could look at us and say, I get it. I've been there. I've seen it. Now come join me at the feast. I'm going to invite the band back up. Um, And as we do, I'd like to extend an invitation to our Christmas Eve services next Sunday. Uh, Our services are at 2.30, 4.00, 5.30, and my favorite, 11.30, going into midnight for anyone who can stay up that late. Um, There's room for everyone. As we close, um, if you're able, I'd like to invite you to stand and join me as we read Philippians 2, 5 through 8 again as a full group um, in memory of the God who came for us. If you're able, you please stand. Philippians 2, 5 through 8. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Let me pray. Uh, Hey, God, Uh, it's Jake. God, as we go into this Christmas season, uh, uh, I am always uh, of mixed emotions in the holidays. Uh, There's a part of me that is so excited and so joyful, and it's so much fun. God, I'm so excited for uh, a time with my kids. I'm so excited for a time with family. I'm so excited uh, for snow and a time to breathe. Uh, And at the same time, God, the the nights get darker. Um, Relationship issues come to the forefront. Uh, And as a a friend said recently, uh, sometimes it's hard to celebrate when you can see the gorilla in the room. God, if there's anyone in this room who is excited to celebrate during Christmas, I am so excited and pray that this would be a season of celebration. And if there are those who are in a time of nervousness or anxiety or lament, I pray that this would be a time that they could either find peace or if not peace, at least commiseration that they're not alone in it. And God, above all, I thank you for your son. Um, Thank you for sending your son to come powerless so that we would have a high priest who we know understands us. God, thanks for today. Amen.